I'm Dan Persons, not exactly a movie reviewer this time around, for Hour of the Wolf. It should be easy to talk about Star Trek's 50th anniversary, shouldn't it? Drop a few lines about Gene Roddenberry's optimistic view of the future, Mr. Spock, plywood sets, racial equality, Bill Shatner's waistline, and you're done. It's being done like that all over the place. I can't do that. If I'm talking about a particular episode or a particular film, I can focus down, weigh the merits of that particular work. But to talk about the whole of Trek, 50 years of it, that addresses something fundamental in me, something I've never fully explored. Right now on the wall behind me, as I speak, I've mounted a replica of the intercom panel from the USS Enterprise from the original series. If you don't remember it, on screen, it wasn't all that much. A red rectangle with wedge-shaped signal light, another round red light, a push button, and a speaker grid. And yet, the first time I saw it being offered on the Think Geek website, and it's still available there, it's not that expensive if you're into that kind of thing, I didn't hesitate to buy it. And more, at first sight of it, I knew I had to have it, had to have its physical presence, had to be able to push that button. Even more, if I turn now and look at that intercom, that odd and not very artful conglomeration of science fiction widgets, button and lights and speaker grill, a sensation comes over me that I can only describe as a sense of peace and satisfaction. Okay, I think the word I'm looking for here is fetish. Let me add that on a shelf below that intercom rests a replica of the original series tricorder, phaser, and communicator, along with a few replicas from Next Gen and even some from J.J. Abrams' films. Looking at them invokes the same feelings of serenity. Playing with them, which I do, brings a profound sense of joy. To fetishize something is to imbue it with a power it doesn't really have. The physical thing enforces the fantasy, and vice versa. This is usually put into a sexual context, but it doesn't need to be. It could be that the object evokes a world, a future one dreams of. I have experienced all 50 years of Star Trek in real time. I was 11 years old when The Man Trap, the first Star Trek episode to air, debuted, and I was stunned. Lost in Space primed my interest in science fiction, but Star Trek set the hook. At an age when I wasn't prone to deep analysis, the show attached itself to me in ways I couldn't begin to understand. It happened on two fronts. One was its pure physical nature, the bridge of the Enterprise, its corridors, the look of the ship as it moved through space. There was a special this past weekend on National Geographic where one person noted that the Enterprise wasn't designed to be a real spaceship, but to look beautiful. And it did. The disc and engineering section and nacelles giving it a dimensionality that no other screen spaceship, or real-life spaceship for that matter, had. Back in college, I actually wrote a paper about how the design of the Enterprise was used to tell dramatic stories. To 11-year-old me, there was a palpable realness to it for all the plywood that went into the scenery and styrofoam rocks that littered the planet's surfaces. It was a future that seemed attainable, that I could see myself inhabiting. 
And then there was the second front, that this was not just a future I could live in, but that I would want to live in. At that point in my life, I wasn't really focused on issues like racial equality and war and peace. But when Captain Kirk screamed to the Metrons that there would be no more killing today, when Spock mind-melded with visibly terrifying Horda and discovered something that equated to true humanity within, Roddenberry's master plan was enacted in me in its purest form. The boy that I was, who was just evolving out of the binary comfort of good and evil into a more nuanced perception of the world, subliminally grasped the message of humanity striving to be better, more open, more understanding. That this was all set in the context of grand adventure, buoyed by William Shatner's attitude that, whatever the dangers, space was going to be a downright gas— And for whatever sins Shatner committed on and off camera, let's all admit that nobody could have conveyed that feeling better than he did. It just made it all the more desirable. We could be great, and the future could be fun. There's another thing about fetishism, an almost instinctual understanding that whatever you fixated your fantasies on, it isn't the real thing. The tricorder on my shelf is just a plastic box with some lights and a sound effects chip, The Star Trek future, traveling through space at warp speeds and encountering life forms whose lives are at least somewhat analogous to our own, is, by the laws of physics and probability, a near impossibility. And looking at how humanity has progressed in the 50 years that Star Trek has been around, there's definite progress, but there's still so much we need to do to hit Roddenberry's vision of true harmony, Earth as paradise. The danger of fetishism is fixating on the fantasy to the exclusion of all else, letting the ideal distract from what we can make reality. There will be a new Trek next year, and I am looking forward to it. I'm still not sure I'm willing to cough up six bucks a month to experience it with commercials yet, but we can talk about what a lovely future Roddenberry had dreamed for us, It means nothing if we don't let that dream guide our actions, make life better, richer, more fun, more exciting. Beaming down to a planet may be forever beyond our reach. Becoming better as humans is certainly within our grasp. The great bird probably would have agreed. I'm Dan Persons. Now is the time to take a stand against hatred, fear, and greed. Register to vote, and let's defeat Trump.